Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Ulrich Bozer, the author of The Leap, about the science of trust and about what leads us to trust other people, what we can do to rebuild trust once it's been broken, and how trust is really a foundation of the culture. So I'm really interested to talk to him about how a family can build a strong, positive, trusting culture. He's also the author of the fantastic book, Learn Better, which is all about the science of how people learn. He goes in-depth into what separates the amazing learners from the not-so-great learners and some specific strategies that anyone can learn and anyone can implement that can dramatically improve your success as a learner. Really interested to look at how you can start to share these strategies with your teenager and set your teenager up to be a better learner for the rest of their life. An interesting place to start is just you. Can you just talk a little bit about kind of what led you to write these books? I mean, clearly, it's like in both of these, you have done so much research. You've interviewed all of these like top researchers in the respective fields, both about kind of learning and about trust and oxytocin. And it was a massive amount of effort. So what inspired that? Sure. For me, uh, I would really start this conversation with learning. That is a topic that is really near and dear to me and, and has been something that I've been writing about, either learning or education, for most of my career. And it stems from my own experience in school. I struggled a lot as a student. I repeated kindergarten. I managed to spend some time in special education. I have this one account of a experience in elementary school where I got in to all sorts of trouble, couldn't read my handwriting, was talking to other students. And I know this because there was a psychologist uh, sitting in, in the back of the room, and it really inspired my interest in education and learning how people gain skills, how they gain knowledge, why it's so important. And that's what sparked the Learn Better book and uh, and in many ways my, my career. And you mentioned that there's a scene in the book, Learn Better, where we kind of are brought back to that classroom and we get to see you from the perspective of that psychologist who's sitting in the back of the room kind of taking notes on you. It's really interesting. I wonder how did you then later on kind of put those pieces together and start to figure that out? It took a while to get the pieces together. It helped that I had a very supportive family and broadly grew up in a nice suburb of New York City. And to a degree, there was some luck involved. I also eventually learned some learning-to-learn skills on my own and then eventually you know, went on to college. And you know, after that, is kind of it was really what, what sparked it 
what helped, you know, put it together, I think, was really learning that learning itself is hard work that I was going to have to learn and really work harder than other people. And then having those supportive environments, supportive teachers, supportive parents and, and siblings, I think can make such a, a big impact. Mm. Yeah, because I think there's this belief that, you know, some people just kind of get it and things come naturally to them and others don't. And learning is one of those, you know, that kind of some people just kind of are seem to be smart and just kind of uh, learn things easily. But what you point out in this book is that there's kind of more going on behind the scenes there and that there are strategies that are being used. And a lot of stuff I noticed while reading your book that I hadn't even realized was, you know, a research based thing. But that like I've always been kind of pretty good at the standardized tests and that kind of thing. And a lot of it I realize is uh, after reading your book is like I kind of am really tactile and I make like hand gestures for everything. I, I don't know why. I just have always done that when I'm like trying to memorize words or memorize facts. Like I make little like hand kind of signs for them or something like that. And as I'm like in a test situation, I can like really easily recall them or kind of manipulate them together by like just going back to those kind of like feelings in my hands and in reading your book. I kind of learned that there's kind of some science behind that. And you even talk about someone who was able to do like really, really fast mathematical calculations by using her fingers and kind of picturing in her mind like it was an abacus. Yeah, I want to stay with what you just described. It's, I think, really powerful and gives us all sorts of really interesting things to talk about. The idea that our hands help us think, you know, it's funny, we're not sitting in, in front of one another, but I'm gesturing even as I, I speak to you. And yeah, the point right. here, right, is we forget how much learning is a, is a physical thing, even when the learning is entirely cognitive. So, you gave this example where you were studying facts and you used your hands to help kind of remember them. And really, that's quite common. There are all sorts of ways that we can use our hands and our bodies to help us learn. So if people you know, just even use their fingers to uh, trace around a, a concept, they'll do better uh, learning that concept than people who don't use their fingers to trace. I think this also gets to this very, I think, really important idea, especially when it comes to teenagers, is that we have this idea that our thinking and our feelings are separate, that our bodies are all about kind of passion and then maybe even hormones. And then the other side, there's, you know, thinking and rational thought and that that rational thought is sort of cool and collected. But it, it turns out sure. that they are deeply intertwined. And that's why you can, you know, offload thoughts on, onto your hands and, and really vice versa, that your hands can help you think in, in more effective ways. And it strikes me just in reading that, that we tend to kind of want people to be normal or to conform, or it might seem like a little odd to be kind of like over there in the corner, like frantically doing things with your fingers. But if that works for you and that's your learning style, maybe that's good or that's something that you should explore. You know, I think we like to think of like, you know, being so good that you don't need the tricks or something like that. I guess I always had this kind of impression that, you know, needing to do it on your fingers meant you kind of aren't that good at it or something like that, right? But I like the way that you put it in your book, which is that if it's a strategy that helps you, then there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think everyone uses strategies. I think we have this idea that, you know, some people are just so smart, but even the people and, and you look at accounts of people who 
had you know, special gifts, you know, someone like Einstein, they also struggled. I think it's really important to remember, you know, the bell mm. curve, which we all sort of saw in science. In other words, what's important about that in terms of intelligence is that 90% of us basically have the same thing. So right. we're all using strategies to one degree or another. And these strategies, we can have strategies that we're just using informally. And, you know, we may have just come to them from, you know, conventional wisdom, or we've just heard about them, or we can look at the research and, and see what strategies really work. And, and that's really the point of this, this book. These, some learning strategies are far more effective. Highlighting, for instance, which is something you see teenagers and adults uh, use all the time, doesn't actually have a lot of evidence behind it, but quizzing yourself uh, is very effective. Learning styles, mm. the idea that some people are tactical learners and some people are uh, visual learners, doesn't actually have a lot of evidence to it. I'm happy to talk about that a, a little bit more. Some people feel really strongly about it and I'm happy to, to run down that. But more broadly, we have strategies for learning and there are some strategies that are, are far more effective, whether it's goal setting or using analogies. They allow us to learn a lot more. There are even studies that have shown talking to yourself while problem solving is the equivalent of, of having a boost in IQ. And with <laughs> these types of strategies, I think we should think of that in that way, right? It, it allows us to really boost our you know natural intelligence. I totally agree. And I think that it gives you some confidence to be okay talking to yourself if you know that there's research behind it that shows that it can be helpful. Yeah. I wonder like as a parent, if you're kind of trying to help your teenager to develop better strategies, how do you kind of introduce new ones? Or is it more about like then also having conversations with them about, you know, kind of what went well when you were preparing for that test or, or like how could you have done it differently? Like is your goal as a parent to just kind of like try and get them to try lots of different strategies and see what works for them or to kind of more specifically guide them towards ones that you think would be better for them or what's that kind of the, the approach there you think? Now, I personally believe that there are some strategies that work really well and they work really well for all of us. So there are, and especially yeah. when you think about teenagers, literally hundreds, hundreds of studies that show when you write down a goal, you are far more likely and unpack that goal, right? So I want to get an A in this class. I want to be better at soccer. Okay, here are the 10 things that I need to, to do. You know, mm. this idea that quizzing yourself is an effective way to learn has been shown in schools, in other uh, environments, in labs, just very, very effective strategy. But you sure, bring up this right. question, which is, do you want to teach one strategy or even just teach people to think about strategies? Just thinking about strategies is a good approach because what we see in a lot of teens and frankly, a lot of adults is that people are overconfident. They think that they know more than they do. Mm. The example that I like to give is, is driving. You know, I uh, have driven a lot since I was 17, probably, right. you know, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of miles. God knows how many you know, parallel parking uh, jobs that I've done. But I, I haven't gotten better at it, largely because I don't really think about it all that much. You know, Most of my time when I'm driving, I'm ah. really about other things. So even beginning to talk about strategies is a good thing. Like, okay, so here's your problem. Like, how are you going to think about doing this? And and especially for teenagers who, who want a lot of autonomy, allow them to explore different you know strategies. Maybe they're going to fail. That's good too. Maybe they're going to succeed. Mm. Maybe they're going to come to some of the research on their own. But already that process of 
thinking about your thinking, wondering, okay, am I doing this right? Am I overthinking, right? Certainly a problem of teenagers and, and adults. So just, you know, encouraging that type of approach, I think already is, is a good step, though. I personally have some strategies that there's some where the evidence is, is crystal clear. There's some, you know, where they might work in some very specific situations, but already thinking about thinking, very powerful approach. So you mentioned quizzing a couple of times as one of the big ones. And another one in the book was distributed practice, the spacing effect I think you talked about as a pretty powerful one. What are a couple of the kind of the undisputed things that you would say are like places to start in terms of learning strategies uh, to, to work on with, with kids? We've covered one of them, this idea of quizzing yourself. And really what's important about the quizzing yourself is that you're generating the information. And we can use this in all sorts of ways. So now with my spouse and and also with my kids and, and students and, and people also who I manage, I, I ask them to engage and repeat back. So uh, you gave me some instructions about how to engage in this podcast. If I really wanted to learn it, one thing that I could do is just repeat it back to you, not with not rereading the notes, right, which is more passive, but really engage in that type of more generative form of practice and quizzing yourself, putting yourself on a stage, you know, is one way to do that. The key idea here also is that it involves some struggle. I had this experience recently where I was preparing for a, a speech. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I started to reread my notes. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh. I didn't actually use that language. Uh, <laughs> I thought to myself, I just can't believe this. You know, I wrote this book arguing for more active kind of quizzing generative forms of learning. And suddenly I'm in a new situation where the surface details are a little bit different. And I, you know, go back to this more passive approach, right? Of kind of rereading. Yeah, yeah. And when we're practicing for speeches just to finish the story, we're much better off putting these notes away. I mean, after you have some idea of what you're going to say, but really just practicing the speech without the notes, a little bit harder to do. You don't feel as kind of comfortable like when you have the warm blanket of the notes but far more effective. Yeah. So I do think that uh, spacing is a big one and it relies on a really simple fact. We forget, we forget at a regular rate. There's research going back to the 19th century where if you give someone a, a nonsense word uh, or word that really you have no other kind of sense of meaning, if I taught you the Swahili word for, for table and I'm assuming you don't know Swahili, no. I can predict uh, based on previous people about when you're going to forget that. There's a 50-50 chance if you were to learn a new word. So, uh, you know, you you learn the German word for calculator, Rechnung machine. And 50-50 chance that if I email you tomorrow around this time, you'll have forgotten it. And within a few days, you see this learning curve, it will have you know, dropped off altogether. All and we all know that this happens. Uh, we regularly forget things. The question then is, what can we do? about it. And one thing that we can do, anything you do to distribute your learning out over time is, is really effective. So you're much better off studying a little bit each day. You can learn more with less time by studying a little bit each day rather than you know, just studying once over the weekend. And, you know, my own kids, what's funny about this very specific example is my kids actually now try to use this as a way not to do their homework. They're like, <laughs> you know, you told us that we need to 
you know, just study every other day. And we got to space it out. Come on. And so uh, (laughs) they in some ways know the the strategy sort of too too well. Well, but also, though, it strikes me that it's a call to not procrastinate. Because if we kind of leave it all till the end, then we aren't able to, you know, get that spaced out effect. We end up doing it all on the same day, right? So that, yes, it's a call to not do it all at the same time, but also in order to do it, we kind of have to be a little more prepared or we have to be, there is a little more planning involved, right? Because we have to kind of get started earlier and then we have to be diligent about doing it every day or, or every other day or however often. Absolutely. When I think about really some of the key messages, we've talked about some of them, but just going to reaffirm them. You know, planning is very, very effective, particularly when it comes to teenagers who are dealing with a lot in their life and teaching them some of these types of, of strategies, how to uh, plan. And then also something that we talked about at the top, knowing that learning even something that's very cognitive in nature like chemistry is both a a social and an emotional thing using our hands using our bodies understanding how we feel that if we're feeling stressed or insecure we're not going to learn as uh, effectively than when we're in a good spot when we trust the people that we are studying with and these are all i think some really important takeaways Andy, I'm really so grateful that we had a, a chance to, to talk. Um, really appreciate the, the time uh, to chat. really feel like I myself learned a lot from this. Hey, this has been totally awesome. Thank you so much for making the time. Can you tell us quickly where people should go to kind of find out more about you and what you're doing? and get kind of on your list or anything like that? Sure, yeah. I mean, my name is Ulrich Bozer. Not that many other Ulrich Bozers out there. So, you know, Google away. And, and um, you know, if you find something that uh, strikes you as good or bad, uh, reach out. We'd love to hear from folks. Yeah, and the books are Learn Better and The Leap, both of which are really fantastic. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Great chatting with you. Thank you, Ulrich. We're here with Ulrich Bozer talking about his books, The Leap and Learn Better. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Parents who are math anxious. So uh, if if doing math kind of gives you that feeling of like, ooh, you know, I'm not a math person, that transfers to kids. Think about why we want to do the right thing. Right? We, we want people to do the right thing. We as individuals want to do the right thing. We don't want to encourage our kids or even ourselves to do the right thing when the police are watching. The really important question, do the right thing when no one is watching. We still actually don't fully understand how these norms kind of come, come about. And even when you speak about them, they're like a little bit weird, right? Like why do people kind of like arrange themselves so weirdly in the elevator, right? Where it's like you're one person, you hey, I'm here. Second person comes in, you go to the separate corner. Three people come in and there's like a sudden reshuffling. Right, right. Even if it's a value that you kind of want your family to have more of, like you talk about in in your book, The Leap, you talk about how college students who exaggerate their GPA a little bit in later semesters, their GPA actually kind of like rises to meet their exaggerations. Like there's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy when people kind of say that they're better than they are a little bit, then that actually inspires them 
to sort of try to live up to what they said. And so I wonder if there also is a little bit of that going on in a family situation where you kind of say, you know, hey, our family values this. Uh, If you, you know, if you kind of say it enough, right, or or exaggerate the extent to which your family maybe really does value that thing, I think that eventually they will come to do that, you know. Technology itself is diverse. And so Facebook has different impacts than Twitter, which has different impacts than Instagram. Mm. Reputation is essentially that reason, that driver of trust. And it's one that really is, is so important to how we engage with others. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.